let's do it. Okay. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Play on Words. It's Miss Beth, and I have one of my favorite Instagrammers and um, moms to follow here, Michelle Charrier. Did I say it right? Yes, you got it. (laughs) Of Babies and Brains. And Michelle, I'm so happy that we're going to talk about like parent-child relationships and attachment. You're the actual expert, and I can't wait for you to answer everyone's questions. Yeah, I'm super, super excited to be here. I could do like a five-hour meeting on attachment, so I'm ready to go. Yay. Okay, well, will you introduce yourself for people that don't know you, how you got to where you are, and what like they can come to you for? Yeah, so I started out in community behavioral health. So I was actually serving families in their homes, working. Um, a lot of the families were involved in the foster care system. So we were doing a lot of trauma work, which inevitably involves attachment work because for children to be able to feel safe, learn, thrive, and grow, they have to feel safe in the relationships with whoever's caring for them. So that was where I got my start. I created and supervised programs. We educated parents in group settings as well. And then during the pandemic, I created Babies and Brains, just kind of out of boredom. I didn't have a child yet. I had a lot of extra time. I wanted to share more information with parents around the globe. And it ended up turning into a business where I I did use to run in-person groups. Now I'm focusing more on digital content, courses, um, and masterclasses and guides. Yeah. Wow. That's, have you practiced that before? No. <laughs> that was such a good summary. Whenever people ask me what I do, I'm like, I'm like, there's no short answer, but that was perfect. <laughs> well, thank you. I think it has to do with the fact that I'm tired and I didn't have time to overthink it. So it just, yes! like, I let it out. <laughs> forgot to introduce that you have sassy content which is <laughs> is you know I feel like I'm like you need to have a personality if I'm gonna find follow you like I need to know not just information all the time and I like that you give it back to people oh thank you yeah I feel like lately I haven't been as sassy I'm like sassy and sensitive so sometimes mm-hmm. I have a hard time with it because I'm like I can dish it but I cannot take it okay you guys like be nice literally to me. will read a mean message and like I'll like tell my friends or something they're like block them and I block them and I'm like sitting there and I'm like, you know what? And I'm like, I go on block. <laughs> so I totally get it. And do you go back and talk to them then? Sometimes. And like, I'll just be like, you know what? I have something to say. I've been thinking about this for like six hours. So I'll oh. say something about it. You know what? <laughs> um, okay. So like everybody also I, I I have so many people ask so many attachment sibling questions that I started to go, I started to get scared about this conversation because um because I'm wondering like how my attachment has been formed, even though I know. No, it's how not it going to be formed. bad news. It's oh, good. It's, this things. is all going to be good news for people? Yeah, we'll keep it. We'll keep it light. No, I'm just kidding. Good. It's not. Yeah, there's not really. It will be. It will be okay. Why do you think that people like get like scared about stuff like that? Like being like, oh, no, I, like everyone just thinks that you're going to hear that you're doing everything wrong. Yeah, honestly, like. I did not realize how much anxiety that parents have around attachment until I was like, I guess in this world, because I don't know when I was working with people face to face, it wasn't like that. And I don't know if it was just like the circumstances or the setting or what, but like everyone on the internet has time to worry about everything they're not doing. Like I'm not working out enough and I'm not eating well enough and I'm not taking care of my kids well enough. And it, the comparison, it creates so much anxiety. Literally all the attachment questions are anxiety backed usually so if that's what's in there like that's what I usually get oh interesting yeah oh I hate that we're worried about everything yes and okay so okay let's back it up a little bit because I always forget like I'll be referencing like the things that I do that I've been talking about you know for 
eight years. And then somebody will go, what is phonological awareness? And I'm like, oh, I forget that. Like the things that are so natural to us to talk about are like, this might be the first time someone's hearing this. Word. Yeah. So how, what, what is attachment and what, why is it important? Yeah. And there is a lot of misunderstanding around the word because we just think like attach means like to fasten or it means closeness. So it's this biological, so it's innate, a child is born with it, this tendency to seek nurturance, protection and care from just a select few number of caregivers. So it's not going to be like 30 caregivers. They have their little crew. Um, It could be one person, it could be five people, but they just need at least one person that they can access um, to get their needs met. Because we know that children, especially very young children, cannot meet any of their needs. Like they're depending on us for food and shelter and protection and all of that. Um, And so that is why it's biologically driven because a child cannot survive without an attachment. Um, The thing that is misunderstood is that attachment doesn't mean like if a child is attached, we think that's like a positive thing. So either children are attached or not attached is the misconception, but that's not how it goes. So we can be attached, but not have a great quality of attachment. Mm. There's not really such thing as an unattached child, unless they're in circumstances where they're being bounced around in foster care and they haven't had time to develop that connection but really a child can't survive without an attachment so that doesn't really exist in nature there's somebody taking care of them even if that care isn't great there's someone keeping them alive um and i you know i hate to say that but some children aren't receiving great care so sometimes it really is just like they're it's the basic needs are being met so Mm -hmm. we can have a secure attachment and that is a you know that's what we strive for that means that child feels confident in that caregiver they feel safe with that caregiver and then there are insecure attachment types where there's some conflict there stuff going on with the the parent themselves and that doesn't create that security and that confidence in that child so okay how uh, this is a question that you might not have like an answer to oh no Um, I'm scared (laughs) I know okay good we're both scared okay um you said unless the child's like bounced around in foster care and doesn't have time to attach is there like an amount of time that would like would it be like 60 days with the same caregiver that could form an attachment that could facilitate something or is it like so that's a good question to my knowledge there isn't like a, n- a number that like would go across the board because there's so many factors to consider. So if we have a child who, you know, has a really traumatic past, it's going to take them probably a little bit more time because they're going to be on guard. Their nervous system has taught them like, hey, bad things happen to us. And so we need to prevent that from happening again. And that can absolutely be a barrier in them forming that attachment. It doesn't mean that it can't happen. It just may take more effort and more time. But again, I don't have like an exact timeline but that's you know also it's not just like this linear thing where like the more trauma or the older you are the longer it takes because you know an infant can go through a lot even in the first 30 days of life and just having a separation from a caregiver is a trauma and it may take them longer there's temperament that's going to play a role and just the goodness of fit between the caregiver and the child so I think that's why there's not really a number because the situational factors are going to influence that Oh my gosh. Okay. So that actually leads to a really good question. Someone asked, so like, so what is a trauma? Like what could be a trauma? Because somebody says, you know, like I like had a really traumatic childbirth and was separated from my baby for four days. Does that affect their attachment? Like what, what are the traumas that could affect this? Yeah. So for babies, it's, it's hard. Obviously there are some things that we just know are like downright traumatic, you know, like abuse and neglect and and witnessing domestic violence, things like that. But trauma is also so 
individual. Um, you know, mm-hmm. something that really frightens and overwhelms one person may not do that to another person. We can have two people in a really similar car accident and one person recovers and one is traumatized. So it really comes down to that individual's nervous system and trauma and toxic stress is different from just like the everyday stress of like, oh my gosh, someone merged into my lane or, you know, those little like spikes that we get, or even just the regular stuff. Like I spilled my coffee all over the place. It It's truly overwhelming that person's nervous system to the point where they don't have access to the tools to cope with it. And then it becomes trauma because it's it's prolonged, right? They are being triggered after it. They may be having flashbacks and nightmares. And one of the biggest things that really seals in, you know, the trauma of an event is not having access to supports. And mm-hmm. so for a child, if they are in a situation where they are being traumatized by their caregiver, like that's a twofold thing because it's like, well, I'm experiencing the trauma, but then I also don't have access to the supports that I need to get through this. So as far as childbirth and a child being separated for a few days or being in the NICU for, you know, 30 days, it's just so individual. And, you know, how is that parent recovering from that event as well? Because if the parent is really in their trauma and stress and they're not getting help, how are they going to show up for their little one? So it's so hard because with attachment, there's no like straightforward answer. It's always like, it depends. But I talked, I talked with someone named Dr. Frankie. She has a really good um, page about like NICU stuff and attachment and trauma. It's Miracle Moon UK. And we did a conversation about this. And she said like, you know, yes, it is traumatic to have a separation, be in the NICU, go through, you know, a traumatic birth, be hooked up to machines, all of that. But we have to focus on what's in our control. Like, how can we bond with our child? How can Mm -hmm. we show up for them and nurture that connection and do skin to skin and create relationships with the hospital staff so that even when we're not with our child, they have that connection through that other person. So Mm -hmm. I would focus more on that. Like, how are we going to connect and move through this? Because we can't change necessarily what happened. So sorry, that was like such a long answer. Oh my gosh, that's so hard. Oh my, this (laughs) is yeah, and I mean it's worse out there than you would imagine. Just saying that, so it's yeah to actually work in the field when you're dealing with trauma, it's it's really tough. I am a little removed from it now that I'm on Instagram because people on Instagram, and this is not like a shot or shade towards anyone on Instagram. I'm on there too. I am also this mom, but we're worried about things like screen time and like Mm -hmm. attachment and things. But then like there are people who are worrying about like like there's really bad things out there. Let's just say that. So it is I'm desensitized from that past work, but also I'm a little bit removed from it now. I'm working with a different population. So I think I am a little bit more sensitive than I used to be. But yeah, it's yeah. 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 Okay. Wow. Um, I, I when you just said that, I was just gonna ask a question that was like, so you talked a little bit about repair. So like say for for traumatic instances that your child has to be away from you whether like how how does that look and is there like a magic window of like well be as close to your child the first year or the first six months or is there like it gets better or easier to like be away for longer periods of time um so well those are so repair can happen or repair we can do repair honestly for anything it can be like we literally raise our voice in a five second window Mm -hmm. I like to think of it as like is there a moment that didn't align with how you want to parent and, and people always think of repair as like, I have to like completely lose it and yell at my kid to repair. And, and people are like, can I repair this? And I'm like, first of all, you can 
repair anything you want, girl, like do it. Um, but for those like bigger traumas that you were kind of initially mentioning, that's going to probably take like therapeutic support and stuff. Like I wouldn't say that's just something we would want to wing because we have to, the first step of repair is to to self-reflect and self-regulate because the adult yeah the as the adult the caregiver in that relationship because how are you going to understand your child's experience how are you going to connect with them if you don't even understand what happened with you so Mm. if it's something that's really deep like deeply affecting you and it was like a huge separation traumatic separation I would get therapeutic support first but if we're talking about like those everyday like you know, I lost it for a second. I had to go in the bathroom and scream while you were crying in the living room. Like I needed a break. Like I couldn't handle it first. Yeah. We're going to reflect and self-regulate. We're going to be like, "Mm, I didn't like that. Right. That was, that felt really overwhelming for me. That probably felt scary for my child. So we want to kind of just reflect on what happened, take those deep breaths, splash cold water in your face, whatever you want to do. And then the biggest the next biggest step is really connecting with our child. So if you feel like you're in a place where you're not seeing them as the problem anymore, you know, you can truly connect to Mm. their experience. That means you're Mm. ready. If you're still going, well, if you wouldn't have ran in the street, then I wouldn't have done that. You're not ready for it. Right. Like if you're still blaming your child. That's so important. I think for people (laughs) to hear. Yes. Because we tend to look at like their behavior is what caused my problem. And it's like, no, you are responsible for your behavior, right? If we can't be responsible for our behavior, then like, what are we, how are we expecting that from our children? Right. It doesn't make any sense. Well, I think think there's like plenty of adults that are in like adult to adult relationship that would still blame the other person for their behavior. Oh yeah. I mean, in like, we all have tendencies to do that because when we feel discomfort, we like want to deflect the pain and the discomfort onto someone else when it's too much for us to manage. And so when we're doing that to our children, like in adult adult relationships, we both have fully developed brains. So it's like, we can work that out if that happens, but for a child, they don't get it. So if we're blaming them, like sometimes children internalize that they're like, am mm. I the problem? Like, is it me? Like, is it, you know, so we really want to make sure that we're, we get comfy with the uncomfy that is happening um, first. And then we just, we have to connect with them and say like, I know that was really scary when mom yelled, or I know it was really hard to be away from me when I was at work. You know, we don't always have to repair just from being separated or at work, because if we set our children up to be in a safe environment, it, it may have not, you know, overwhelmed them. It may have not been a rupture. So we really want to look at those situations where we did something that wasn't aligned with how we want to parent and our children felt overwhelmed and afraid and upset. Um, So yeah, acknowledge their experience, you know, accept their feelings, allow them to be mad at you. Mm -hmm. Parents have a really hard time with that one. It's like, you're not allowed to be mad at me. Like I'm your parent. Like, why are you so ungrateful? Like, how could you be mad? I didn't even do anything. You're the one that ran into the streets. Like I saved your life. And we start getting like all into this logic and it's like, they are not being logical in this moment. They're a child. They are emotional. Let's connect to the emotions. So just let them feel what they feel. If they're like, I'm mad at you, or you did scare me, or you're the worst. I hear you. I hear you. I always just say, I hear you. Like, that's a good one to stick to. I hear you. I know that's so hard. You don't even have to name a feeling. Like parents get very stuck on like, what's the feeling? And they're like going in this like list in their mind and they're like getting all like in a tizzy about it stay in the connection just say I know it's hard um and then you know if the child did do something that was like out of line like they hit okay that is dangerous we don't want them to do that we can also set boundaries 
while we're repairing and accepting their feelings. So we have this like balance that we need to keep. It doesn't have to be either or. We don't have to be like the big, bad, strong parent or the like mushy one. We could do both at the same time. Oh, that's good. That's yeah. a good reminder. And also <laughs> when you just said like stay in the connection, I always like the thing I say to myself most throughout the entire day, every day is you can either have connection or be right. And like, <laughs> I'm like in every conversation, I'm like, what is my goal here? <laughs> connection or to be right? Like, it's like, okay, I can connect to that person's feeling. Not like, no, you shouldn't feel that way yeah. because I didn't do anything wrong. It's like, ah, oh, I'm, I'm thinking this is tips for like adults. In oh life. yeah. Everything that we apply to children applies to adults because we yeah. were all children. Um, so it, it still makes sense for us. But you know what you were just saying? I have I have a hard time with that, honestly. Like I always feel this need to defend. Like mm-hmm. I don't want to be misunderstood in that. We have to also be gentle because that comes from a childhood mm-hmm. kind of wound sometimes, you know, feeling just misunderstood. Sometimes children are scapegoated and all the problems are put on them. And so we just want to like defend our goodness and defend our intentions. And so it's not that that impulse is like a wrong thing. It's from something. It's telling us a story and it's important. But like you said, it does take us out of connection. So we, we, it's a lot to work through that. I still am working through that. How do you do that? Honestly, like, I just have to, well, like in the moment, initially I do have the impulse to become defensive. That is one of my things. And my husband, if he could hear this, he'd be like, mm-hmm, yes, it is. He'd be like <laughs> nodding his head. But so in the, like sometimes right away, you don't catch yourself, but it's about that reflection afterwards. It's like, okay, I was doing that thing again. And that disconnected me from the person that I want to understand me, right? Like that doesn't make sense. That's like an oxymoron. Like we want to be connected. So um, yeah, it's that reflection. If it takes time, like, you know, whatever you have to do, take time to yourself, deep breaths, whatever it is. And then you have to like reconnect with that person and own it. And that's the hard part. Whoa, I hate that. (laughs) Yeah, I hate it too. It's uncomfortable. Oh, being a human is so weird. It's hard. I know. Ah. Okay, that's good. That's good. You this is all very good. Um okay, so a couple questions that I'm looking at. A lot of people want to know welcoming a new sibling tips and also <laughs> this question I really want to make sure we don't skip is if my baby only wants to be held all the time, are they too attached? Oh, like am I creating yeah. a clingy baby? Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Okay. So the sibling. So how do we prepare an older child who has a sibling coming? So I think what happens is we think that because things are different or because we have to do things differently, like we can't hold both children all the time. Like it's just going to look different when we welcome another child inevitably that we think different is worse. Like different is inferior in some way. Different means I'm not doing my best because I was doing my best with one. And, you know, Mm -hmm. now I'm definitely not going to be able to do it with two. But we have to realize that like, this is how families work, right? Like if every second, third, fourth, and in your case, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth child (laughs) would be doomed because they weren't the first born yeah how would we evolve as which a i think i think i mean uh knowing a lot of firstborns i'm like i am a firstborn <laughs> I, yeah i can tell <laughs> no really though you can tell like yeah, i definitely maybe not like right now but like you definitely can tell in general oh no do i seem like a middle kid um i don't know actually i'm like thinking of my middle siblings you're like right in the middle you're yeah a four? yeah 
No, I don't know if you seem like a middle kid to me. Do people tell you that you do? No, no, no. nobody ever like. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I don't think so. But my oldest sister is like so oldest sister. And, <laughs> and it's like, when it's a sister, it's like another level. It is another yeah. level. And so it's like, so I'm like next to her. I'm like, I'm so like fun and free spirit. I'm not that yeah. free spirited, but I am like, yeah, sure. Like I'll <laughs> hop on a plane in an hour. Like kind of like that is pretty free (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding I wouldn't really but I do arrive at the airport about 30 minutes before my oh my gosh stop I know see that's the difference that's where I'm like do I do I seem middle kid but okay so everybody would everybody has like it's not if you have another kid that's not gonna mess up yeah it's not like automatic insecure attachment of course there's going to be a learning curve right like we can't possibly like just immediately have it down right like even when you have one child like you have to go through this process this dance you know this rhythm that you learn together and so when um i was doing kind of research on this to create the guide that i made for parents one of the studies that they did and it was one of the longitudinal study that was actually looking at moms and dads which a lot of studies don't they just look at mother child relationships what if um, they don't have a mother yeah, I know. Okay. Well, and you know, and what about like, you know, same sex parents? It's it, There's a lot of people yeah. left out of studies frequently. I think maybe they're getting a little bit better, but like all of the like longitudinal studies are like usually between mother and child. Um, hmm. So what they looked at is, you know, what did the parents do to create that security in that first child because you know when the second child came and kind of disrupted things and it came down to you know the parent being mindful of how they were presenting you know being mindful of their feelings and their stress um how well the parents co-parented and then um also the support system that the parents had and the parents tendency to not just focus on behavior and not just modifying the behavior, punishing the behavior of the older child, but seeing that there was something underlying there, understanding that there was an emotional experience happening. So parents who focused on like punitive punishments, like, you know, you hit your baby sister, you're in your room for an hour kind of thing. Mm. And just, just focused on that. They weren't really, um, you know, aligned with their co-parent. They didn't have a lot of support. That's where the risk comes into play. But that is the fact that is the case for even if you just have one child. It's the same risk. So nothing really changes. It's just obviously things get harder with a second child. So if you are welcoming a new sibling, you want to focus on how are you taking care of yourself and your own stress? How are you, you know, reflecting and becoming aware of your internal experience? We're not going to be able to stop stress. So don't people stress about stress. When I talk about this, they're like, wait, I am stressed. Now I'm stressed about being stressed. Don't stress about your stress. Just like notice it, become aware of it. That's where we make changes, awareness. Um, You know, maybe have a plan with your co-parent or if things aren't going great with your co-parent, like put resources there, therapy or whatever that's going to look like, you know, broaden your support system, reach out to your supports, delegate things to your supports, have them, you know, locked and loaded and ready. And then um, as far as behaviors and punishment go, you want to just, this is kind of like, I don't know exactly if everyone's going to have access to this because I'm like, you know, kind of educate yourself on, you know, that behaviors have meaning. It's not just behavior is the problem. Behavior is a symptom. So we want to understand that, you know, when my child hits or they become aggressive or they tell me they hate me or they're pushing me away because there's a sibling, none of that is the, the real case. There's Mm. feelings of jealousy and disappointment and all these things underneath. 
And so I'm going to say like, you know, work on understanding that. How are you going to do that? I mean, my page would do some of that and some of the resources I have there, you know, books on understanding behavior. The whole brain child is a really good, you know, one that a lot of people know, but yeah, not focusing on like punishments, focusing on connection to Mm -hmm. the underlying experience. So those are like the four, I think I listed four, four things that you would want to focus on preparing your child um, Mm -hmm. ahead of time. People are like, when do I start? You know, if you literally like pee on the stick and you want to tell your child and start then, <laughs> like, hey, two lines, baby, this means to you. <laughs> Go ahead. I mean, you can start then. It's a personal oh, that's preference. Funny. <laughs> it's a personal preference. Like, if you feel like good about what's happening in that moment, share it with your child. But if you're like, oh my gosh, I'm pregnant, everything's spiraling. Like, what am I going to do about this? Maybe like understand it yourself first and then start to prepare your child. Seems like a theme. Understand it yourself first. Yes. Yes. Um, But I would say like at least a few months before the new sibling arrives, you want to start like talking about it more. And even if you're like, my toddler's so young, they don't understand. Like we know that receptive language, I mean, you know, all this, it's developing like eight to nine months. They're starting to attach, you know, meaning to words. That doesn't mean they're going to understand everything that you're saying, but they understand connection. They understand the warmth of your tone. So it's not going to be a bad thing if your child doesn't catch every word. Still do it. Practice. Tell them like baby sibling is coming and involve them in the little things. I think that's what parents forget. We start like we're painting a room and we're moving around furniture. Like we're doing all these little things and kids pick up on that, right? They're like, yeah this is my home. And like, you're switching things around what's happening. We don't talk them through that. Usually we're just like, whatever. They're just like playing in their room. We're just going to like do all this really quick. No, like tell them what's happening. Like we're going to move baby into this room and you're going to be in this room because they start kind of like spiraling and trying to make sense of it themselves. And then they're acting crazy and having tantrums. And we're like, what is happening? How did this come out of nowhere? (laughs) Yeah. Never comes out of nowhere. So involve them in the process. Like you know, if they don't prefer to be involved, don't like you don't drag them around to like all the baby stores and like right. they're like, hello, I want to stay home. But just like give them little tidbits, talk about it every day a little bit, you know, mention it. So that's not a surprise. Okay. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Um, I feel like you... I give a speech for every question. No, I'm like no, so I'm like, long. you're such a good speaker. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and it's really on, on like on point. Like I give a speech every time I answer something, but then it like ends in like talking about like the pizza that I had two years ago <laughs> that I can't stop thinking. About. And like, I promise it's connected. So <laughs> somehow, somehow uh, you find it. And if you find it, you win. Um, or lose actually maybe because it means like your brain does the same thing same thing it's just as chaotic (laughs) yeah oh I'm so sorry um okay that's great would you say do that like with every new sibling like that's like okay great yeah. It's not like, okay, this is the fourth one. Everybody's fine. No. Yeah. I would do it. And I honestly, this is like what I recommend for any change. Like if you're going mm-hmm. to move or anything that you're changing, just mention it, involve your kids a little bit. Um, You know, especially with like a bigger change, like moving and siblings and daycare, like find books, read books about it. I have a list of transition books. Okay. I yeah. Just, I probably I need those that. honestly, because I only have like a very select few and they're not even always focused on the transition. It's more about yes. like parent-child connection like the kissing yeah. hand and invisible yes. string stuff like that yeah there's this great book I think it's out of print because I saw it on Amazon the other day because I was sending it to a friend it's just called some things change oh, and yeah. it's so simple I think it's Mary Murphy 
Um, and like, it's just really simple pictures. Really. It's like, it's like talks about something that changes and then something that stays the same. Like, yeah. And it's just, it's so good and really simple. Like, I think it's like helpful for like babies, but it's also like, you can use it with a big kid who might be just like totally spiraling about something. And then like, just let's list together some of the things that are staying the same. Yeah. I love that. And I would, I'm probably going to order that because I don't have like the whole list. I know that there's like some like Daniel Tiger books like that Mm -hmm. talk about like really specific transitions and stuff, but I'm sure there's just so many more out there, but that can be so helpful. You know, if your child's into watching shows or sometimes shows that will depict, find something that depicts your similar situation. Um, because I mean, for all humans, if something feels familiar, we feel safer with it. If something yes. is unexpected and surprising, we don't feel safe. Why? Because we have to be on guard because what if this isn't safe? It could be painting yes. a room isn't unsafe, but how do I know? Because if you think about like hunter gatherer days, we're like living in the wild. There's a lot more predators. We have to be aware if something's changing in our environment, because that could mean danger. Like, are there new animal footprints and like animal droppings nearby okay like something's wrong or like is a storm rolling in like we have to be very aware of our environment to survive and we still have that instinct and so when little things change when there's like cones on the freeway that you take to work every day you're like what is happening like how long is this gonna last how am I gonna get to work for your little ones it's a little bit more extreme because they just don't have an understanding like we know we're making changes because we know a sibling's coming or because we're moving they don't have the big picture. We have to filter. We don't the tell them. them. Yes, I know. I I think about that. I, I actually a couple of years ago started doing like every sem- every like semester of life. Not like I'm in school. I'm the same semester, but like I try something new so that I, as an adult, don't that's working with children. Don't ever just go. Oh, come on, go. You'll have fun. You'll make friends. But I want to make myself feel what it feels like in my body, in my brain about trying something new that I'm not good at. Like I have to, I put myself on purpose in like, be scared, like be bad at it and don't know anybody. Like I'll take tennis lessons or go rock climbing. You know, I'm just like, I really, need... yeah. It I really love helps. how intentional like you are about that. That's amazing. I have such a problem with doing things badly in front of people. I, but I'm just like, I won't do it ever. Oh, like... you have to. No, no, I I I did stand up comedy. I did improv. Are I you mean, kidding? No, you did. I would yeah. shit my pants. I cannot do that. <laughs> That's what I mean. But I I feel like it makes me better at my job because I have to know what kids are feeling, and I feel like it makes me connect like to my inner child of like that scared. Like, who do I ask for help? Like, if I'm walking into a new building, like should I ask that person? Is it embarrassing to ask that person? Like, it really makes me think about all the things that kids feel in new circumstances or trying something that they've never done before. Wow. You are like really brave because I just thought like Zumba, I would never go to a Zumba class. Like I would never do that. I'm going to actually go to Zumba now that you said (laughs) that it's scary to me. This feeling that I'm feeling in my body is new. And so it feels a little scary, but that doesn't mean that I'm not safe. I can't do it, but like, I'll just live vicariously through you. (laughs) I don't know if it's like, I'm like, it's funny. I think I do it also. It's like, I'm doing this for my job and for kids. So like, I can understand the process they're going through more, but I also like would never have done any, I was like the worried, most worried, shy kid in the world. Yeah, Like cried every single day going to school. Yeah. I would cry. Like, even if I got like a tiny, like a redirection, not even in trouble. I'd yes. be like, oh my God. Like my, my green card was like the wind blew across it. Like, 
no. Oh my gosh. You yeah. Know, I hate, I hate those color charts. Oh, I hate that. I hate them too. I hate okay. them too. But like, I would just be like, I'd be like, so in my shell and like, yeah, I could not do, do what you do. Like I cannot be uncomfortable like that. I know. Well, it's really, it is really uncomfortable. Oh gosh. I hate, I'm feeling uncomfortable thinking about it, but I, I still am overcoming that. Like, it's so wild. The things that happen in your childhood that do stay with you. I've told this story before, but I like one time I live in a building with a doorman and he was like, Oh, I was like on a call and I didn't get in my elevator. Cause I was going to lose the call. So I was like standing in the lobby and he was like, Hey, I need to talk to you. And I, right. Do you feel panic right now? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so I was like, oh my God. And I'm like, try, I'm on this work call and I'm like, I feel the blood fall out of my body. <laughs> I literally, I have no idea what happened in the last four minutes of that call. I'm panicking. I'm in trouble. I'm getting kicked out of my apartment. I like, what did I do? <laughs> Things that didn't even happen that, that couldn't even be possible to happen. I'm thinking happened. And so then I hang up the call and I go to him and he's like, I heard that you um, are a teacher. I have a, a daughter and I like need some help. And I was like, Oh my God, why is my instinct to be panicked when somebody says they need to talk to me? Why, why isn't the instinct? Oh, they probably know that I can help them in some way. Like, no, I'm, I'm like that too. So I don't necessarily have the answer. I don't know. Like, I'm sure it does stem from something, but like, I don't know. I'm like that too. Immediate worst case scenario every time but like then you're always pleasantly surprised so maybe it's a positive right like you're not gonna be like you're ready for the worst so if anything else happens you're like oh okay okay it's okay so do you think that retraining the nervous system can um help with that yeah I think if you so anything that like frequently stresses you out if you start to bring awareness to like the physiological signs like oh, I notice like my chest tightens and like, I can't really breathe and my face gets hot. And we start noticing that and like targeting like our nervous system right then, you know, deep breath, whatever that looks like. We can start to like, not desensitize it, but tell it that it's safe when it feels that way. So the more and more we practice that, we can then like widen our window of tolerance, essentially. Um, And for some people who have like more exposure to stress and trauma, it takes a lot longer. But even for like those little everyday interactions, we could do that. But it's so much mindfulness, like you're Mm -hmm. required to like take yourself out of that moment of stress and like, remember, I'm safe and like I should take a deep breath. It's a lot. It's really hard. It's a lot. And then like, we're like, this is probably the most important thing for like grownups, teachers or parents listening to learn, because like, we're trying to say, this is how, this is what we should be doing for kids. We should help them realize like right before they get upset, like we can like start to see patterns. This is why like, we want to pay attention to behaviors. I always tell parents that they're like, how do I know if I should get an assessment? It's like, keep track of behaviors of their Mm -hmm. consistency of the time of day of like how regular they are. And if we're in tune, but we can't be so mindful of and in tune with what causes our babies or toddlers or kids to get triggered if we don't know like what happens for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially because sometimes we are the ones triggering our kids and like, that's not meant to like scare everyone listening to this, (laughs) but sometimes we are like, if we're so unaware of our stress and we're just zooming around every day, stressed out. And then like our kids are stressed. Well, it makes sense, right? Because if we are their source of safety and we're stressed, then they're like, well, if you're stressed, then like, I definitely should because you're the one keeping me safe. So like, we're both stressed now. So our awareness is key, like really in any situation, whether it is our stress causing this cascade effect or whether it's something else, like we always have to start with us, like no matter what. 
So at least that's like consistent. You can just remember that one. <laughs> like no matter what, yeah. start with yourself. Start with yourself. And I think I think two things that you've mentioned are like really important and, and connected with me is one, like check yourself. So I think if I'm on a plane, I used to be a nervous flyer. I still am a little bit, but now it's like one more like prep and and more practice, right? So the mm -hmm. more I fly, the more I know, oh, at this time that like, you know, when we're taking off, it usually feels like this. Mm -hmm. So I have more awareness, but then prepping, like watching videos about what is actually, did you see that TikTok one about like when you're in turbulence, you actually can't drop because like you're kind of oh, in jello. Yeah. Yeah. I have, so, like, and then you're like, wow. Okay. Yeah. That makes me feel better. Yeah. Yeah. So like thinking about what causes kids to like have that panic is like, okay, what, what can I inform them on? What can I prepare them for? Like, how can I tell them? Okay. At this point there will be turbulence. Like we're not trying to say, here's how to have a perfect free child carefree childhood it's like there mm -hmm. will be turbulence here's how you can make it better but then also like that when I'm on a plane I get less worried if if I look at the flight attendant like and they're fine yeah you know they're yeah, the exactly ones, they're your like, like reference yeah yeah so like kids yeah. need like they're looking okay wait am I fine or is this like crazy right now yeah and just like going I love that metaphor that you just created and like some like building off of that like People fear like, well, if I prep my kid, if I talk about it before, it's just going to cause anxiety. So like, we're just mm. going to go into the day not prepared. But oh if you gosh. think about that same thing, right? Like if you have a fear of flying and you know nothing, like you just are going onto the plane, you've never been on one before, you don't know the sounds it's going to make or how it's going to feel. Does that make you feel better in no. that moment? No, it doesn't. And I always tell people like, yes, the preparation can bring up anxiety and it can bring up their, like, they might tell you, I'm not, I don't want to go to daycare. Or I don't want a sibling and parents are like, okay, I shouldn't have even talked about it. Let yeah. those feelings out now. Isn't it better to have them let out now in a safe controlled container rather than don't speak of it. And then it all happens on the day of the transition. Like you yeah. want it to happen before you want to have an idea of what they feel like. You want to know their fears. You want to co-regulate with them and help them so that when it actually does happen, they feel safer with it. So don't let that part scare you if like stuff comes up in the prep. Yes. And also there's this book I think you would love. It's called Ruby Finds a Worry or something. Oh no, and, I haven't heard of that one. Oh, it's so cute. But it's it's like basically this girl is like, oh no, this worry is following me. And she tries to like get it away from her. Oh. And then it gets so big that then she's like, all I can think about is the worry. But so then it like, oh but my it's like, gosh, I love that. you know it was like if you just That's like so let the cute. worry like come along on the car ride just like sit next to you like it's okay like so it's like it's okay your emotions how you're feeling everything is okay rather like let it out as soon as it comes and then just be like yeah it, it's here it exists with us it's not too big for me to handle yeah like say hi to it and then yeah. recognize that it's there yeah oh my gosh yeah. you need to give me like a book list honestly because I this is one area that I actually need more help in and you just listed off like a bunch that sounded amazing so are I you gonna attach it to like the podcast do you do that yeah once yeah that's, yeah I, I sometimes I mean I do I need to remember more <laughs> like I feel like I'll like mention like five things I'll be like I'll attach it in the show notes and then I'm like just message me on Instagram if you need help finding. oh dang it. so I just but, said it here and now you're gonna no 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 I'm gonna remember I'm I'm gonna I'm going to remember to attach it Books <laughs> in the show notes. Got it. It's already. Um, okay. I have the one last question, unless there's anything else you wanted to cover, but um, if I'm holding my baby all the time, am I making it? Oh yeah. Bad? Oh my gosh. I forgot you asked me that one. And then we went on a tangent there. Um, I loved okay. it though. No. So you, so again, when we're thinking of attachment as like literal, like fastened, then it seems like on me too much means too attached. Well, First of all, no such thing as too attached, right? Mm -hmm. Like if our child is 
very securely attached, that is a good thing. There's no tipping point where it becomes too secure. It, it does not happen. Um, the This is the part where it gets a little bit tricky, but sometimes if we as parents have anxiety around separation, we all do. Like, let me just say that. Like, I don't ever feel good leaving my child, even leaving him out in the living room while I'm in the room working is very hard. So I'm not saying that is the case, but if you struggle so much that you can't even let your child play, like it's just like you cannot be separated, then that can actually create a dynamic where the child doesn't feel safe separating because you're not feeling safe with separation. How can they, right? It's that referencing thing again, but that is not a case of being too attached, right? So there's this like, kind of like there's multiple layers there. Like, yes, those behaviors can happen. And sometimes they're indicative of a concern, but I mean, my child is 20 months. He still loves to be held all the freaking time, right? Like there are some children who just have certain temperament types. They're more sensitive. You are their source of safety. They want to be near you. That is all normal. So it's hard to talk about this topic because there's some like little like notes and nuances, but I'd also don't want people to worry. Like a lot of it's also still normal. I would say like, you would know it's not normal if like you are having this massive like feeling of anxiety with separation. Like you literally, like like I said, can't let them just go play with blocks because you're like, do you not love me anymore? Like you're over there playing so nicely. Like, do you hate me? No. That That is more where I'd be like, okay, let's like reflect a little bit. What's going on? Do you have experiences with rejection and like stuff like that, like in your own mm. past? If mm. the child's meeting your need for closeness And then they have difficulty separating. That's where I would say we're not in the like secure, everything's normal and good that I would be a little bit concerned there. But yeah, no such, there's no such thing as too attached. There's no such thing as having too strong or too secure of an attachment. Um, Children like to be near us. Again, we keep them safe. They think we're funny, like we're the best people in the world. So why wouldn't they, right? It makes total sense. So yeah, you likely, like most of the time I would say parents didn't create that, like if they have a sensitive child who wants to be on them. But if you, again, it all starts with you, look into how you're feeling about the separation and start there if you are concerned about your child's inability to separate. Okay, that's great. And also I just saw one other question, which I know you talk about this a lot. Um, Contact naps versus sleeping on own. That's the best way to support the development is what their question is. Yeah, so- contact naps are great. And like, we still do them. And my son, like I said, is 20 months, but they're not like necessary to get like, put your child on a path to healthy development. Like if that's the only way that your child sleeps and they love it, like, of course, that's going to fill their cup up. It's going to support their needs. So of course that could be a good thing, but good thing for some children doesn't mean bad thing for everyone else. Like if your child doesn't like contact naps or you just can't do it. Maybe you have five children running around or you go to work, but your child sleeps fine or they're being cared for someone else who's amazing. That doesn't mean like your child's worse off because they're not contact napping. So I would say like follow your child's cues. Like for my child, he loves it so much. And like, we kind of couldn't put him down. So for Mm -hmm. us, it was the best thing for his development in that moment. But then like my friend who can put her baby in a crib and you know, that baby sleeps for like 12 hours. That doesn't mean they're less attached, less attached isn't really a thing, but it doesn't mean like they're insecurely attached. It's just babies have different needs following our individual baby's cues and needs. That's what's most important. And then if we do need to make a transition, like, you know, let's say like we, for some reason have to go like to on a vacation or go back to work, whatever that looks like. I'm thinking about my own scenario, knowing Mm -hmm. my child does better with contact naps. I can still slowly prepare him 
for Mm -hmm. a transition into another form of sleeping on a floor bed or whatever. But we just want to be mindful of their needs and their feelings and following their cues, doing it slowly if that's something that they need. So yeah, there's not one way that's better or worse. It's just individual. If your child sleeps alone and you can just put them down, like, okay, well, stop bragging about that so much. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, must be nice. But yeah, no, you can contact nap until your child's three or don't. It's not that one is going to turn out better than the other. So yeah. That's such a good reminder. (laughs) Yeah. It's not, we complicate a lot of things and it's really just, it's not that, it's not that, it's not that simple, but it's also not that complicated. Yeah. Agree. (laughs) That is, I feel like that's like a great, I feel like that's like my mantra now for today. It's not that simple, but it's not that complicated. Yeah. It's somewhere in the middle. That should be like the overthinkers mantra. (laughs) Yeah. It's me. It's medium complicated. It's just, just, it's, 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 you can, you can figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I could talk to you all day. Do you have any last parting words for the world of this huge following of the podcast? Um, I millions of people listening to this episode. I mean, like the fact that you have a podcast is amazing because I would be so scared to do that. That would be one of my fear things. You know what? You have to do all these fear things now. I am going to make you. (laughs) Not Zumba. That's like my, where I draw the line. Okay. That is so funny that that was your first Thing it's just so scary. So scary. So it is. I can't. The energy required, the like moves, like I just can't do it. I can't wow. Do it. This is so funny that that is your biggest fear. I mean, it's not my biggest fear <laughs> in the grand scheme, but when I think of trying new things, like anything involving like dancing skill and like just like being able to let loose, I cannot. I cannot. I'm like, I sound so fun, don't I? Like, I, I go to parties <laughs> and I can't, I can't let loose. Oh my gosh. Wow. I love that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I guess I, obviously there could be a million things to add on this topic as far as attachment goes, but like, I mean, I feel like we covered good ground just because the underlying theme is the same in everything that we talked about, right? We see that different topics. We're always talking about, you know, inner reflection, inner self-regulation, preparation, all the things stay the same across the board. So so for any parent or teacher, the number one place to start is in the mirror. Yes. Yes. Look in the mirror. And that's the hard, like people don't want to do that. They want to do all the other steps. They're like, I'm going to buy a course on everything else except for that part. Cause I don't want to do it. Do not make me look at my inner <laughs> child wounds. No, no <laughs> seriously. That is how it is. Somebody said to me the other day, they're like, at what point does it, is it no longer a wound and it's just your personality? And I was like, what? Well, personality is part of it is our experience. So yeah. I mean, it it does become part of that. And and obviously, like we can change aspects of that. And like our core temperament, like that stuff stays the same usually across environments. But yeah, personality is the other like spice involved on top of our temperament. So kind of does. Yeah, it's wild, because then it's like, okay, so what, like, were you born this way? Or like, was it this thing? And how nature and nurture yeah Yeah. and it's like it's really hard to tease those apart unless people have done like studies on twins and stuff but I mean nurture nurture is like the biggest I mean that's what's going to make the difference in who you are and what your environment looks like basically is the big the key there yeah that's true because if nurture wasn't in play then people couldn't heal from yeah things yeah so environment caregiving environment all of that matters in how we shape our children so that's a lot of pressure but mm. don't let that scare you but you got it it's not that you easy. got it's it not yeah that complicated. yeah 
that's just make that your new Instagram bio. <laughs> not, new thing. <laughs> not that easy, not that complicated, plus French fries. Yeah, plus French fries <laughs> and zest. Yes, I love it. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun, actually. Normally I get nervous and kind of like, I feel like I'm uptight on podcasts sometimes, but I did not feel that way here. So thank Good. you for creating that environment. Um... Thank, Thank you for you. nurturing me in that way. <laughs> you, you know what? I, I try to make it like, so it's a, a podcast that people just feel like they are just like talking with their friends. So I'm like, when people are like, what do you want me to prepare? I'm like, nothing, please. Like, I want it to be natural. You're already an expert in what you do. Oh yeah. I mean, I just like had such a cluster the last few days that I was like, I can't even prepare. So I'm just going to show up and I think it worked better. So now I'm like taking notes for next time. I'm just going to like not do think you know- about it too much. <laughs> That was, you have, you have to not think about it too much. That was that, that became like, I just launched my podcast because I was like, I've been thinking about this podcast for four years and I'm like, I just have to do it. I just have to do it bad. I have to do it while I don't know. I just have to start doing it because otherwise you just never will do it. So just show up and like, it's not that scary and it's not that hard. Yeah, (laughs) You're just adding new words in there. I I know why I should have ended it 10 minutes ago. (laughs) Oh man. Well, I will link where everyone can find you and all of your courses and support and definitely follow you for a fun time. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Yeah. Will you come back? Yes. Okay, great. Okay.